Welcome to Podship Earth. This is your host, Jared Blumenfeld. This week, Friday Apolisky and I went to the San Francisco Green Film Festival and saw a ton of amazing movies. We're going to review four of them for this week's episode. The movies that we saw were Into the Akavango, Symphony for Nature, Complicit, Inventing Tomorrow, The Rich, Woman Warrior, The Human Element, Wasted, The Story of Food Waste, Nail House, Youth Unstoppable, The Rise of the Global Climate Youth Movement, Point of No Return, Youth versus Gov, and that was it. That yeah, was that a was lot. it. Yeah. It was a lot. It was fun watching them with you. Totally. These films are wasted if you don't have someone to talk to about them. They just marinate in your head and cause all kinds of problems. I really want to thank all the people, Rachel Kaplan and everyone at the Green Film Festival. We got to sit down with, in many cases, both the director and the people in the movies. Um, so you're going to get a behind-the-scenes look at these movies. You're also going to hear some clips of the movies that we saw. So the first movie we're going to review is called Warrior Women. I love this movie. I thought it was amazing. And um, the, the characters are just so compelling. This country is built on the bones of our ancestors. We have our culture. We have our way of life. We have our language. What we're trying to do is retain it. Retain our right as a people to be Indian. It was truly an empowering, free time. Watching the women is amazing how they handled everything. Protecting our people and our, our children's future and fighting, being warriors in that way. The press, they just automatically gravitated to the men. And who really knew what was going on and was really running the show were the women. We were a movement of families. Being the daughter of Madonna, she definitely had a reputation of being strong. And when someone went to her for help, she did what she had to do to make a difference. The main woman is Madonna Thunderhawk and her daughter, Marcy Gilbert, and they do an incredible job. Um, I, I was just like floored by it. Absolutely. I totally agree with you about the characters. Um, I really enjoyed the parts of the film where they're all sitting together and reflecting on all these actions that they've taken that I think any of us would feel like one of them was a defining moment in your life. And they have a whole lifetime of just really incredible, like go out there, get this done. It, their voices are amazing and their stories were very powerful. You could do three hours on this woman. She's clearly a force of nature. I mean, and yeah, let's hear from her right now and her daughter, Marcy. I start by asking Madonna Thunderhawk what it was like when Trump rubber stamped the Dakota Access Pipeline. Well, to us, it's not that much. It's not that big of a surprise because it's ongoing because we are land-based people. We, this is constant. Each generation has to pick up the fight, the struggle. Yeah, it's just an ongoing thing. The younger generations in this country realized that it's not just we, we, we again, as indigenous people, we're not standing alone. That this is something that's affecting everybody. And then when we were up there at the camp in, in, in 2016 and here in November comes rolling around 
and uh, Trump gets gets in, you know, and uh, it shocked everybody. And literally, because we were there watching as elders, supporting all the young people that were there. Masi, what does it mean in 2018 to be indigenous in this country? When we have a, a corporate monstrosity that's killing the air and killing the water and killing the land and killing the natural um, you know the natural um, relatives you know all the all the animals and plants and everything it's it has definitely has a different meaning now and and so those issues are real for everybody there's a very strong sense in the movie of your identity you knowing who you are where you came from how you fit into the landscape your role whereas I think many people feel like adrift you feel very in the movie and right now very grounded growing up in an activist family if you learn where you come where you where you come from what your responsibilities are what direction you should be going in and then learning the tools to move forward in a meaningful way so it's it's not a clear easy path but it's it's worth it because you do at the you know when you reach get through all that, you do have a sense of identity, who you are and what your responsibilities are and how all these gifts that you got from your experiences, how do we use those to move forward? As Indigenous people, we have the right to to be here. And so... So, Madonna, one of the things that I was just completely shocked by in my own experience when I visited um, Indian country was how openly racist white communities that adjoin the reservation are. It's what I call a frontier mentality. Because for many reasons, and one of the main ones is that this country does not have any culture of its own, has no honorable history of its own. Um, So what do you do? You look around, you got to make someone, put someone else down, and it might be out of envy. Who knows why the white border towns have this frontier mentality and feed it to their young. Why? That's their problem. That's who they are because they don't belong anywhere. We know who we are. And, and all of our problems of colonization, we still are who we are. It's corporate dominance of the planet. America was so busy patting themselves on the back for decades, centuries. Look, look, at, look at the joke it is now. And the corporate world is in control. And the only ones really left standing with any kind of stability and basis are indigenous people. Tell us about the role that you feel your ancestors play for you. Well, I think it's really simple. I'm here and I'm able to say and what I want to. Because my ancestors, they fought and died so I could be here. So it's my obligation. And everybody has, and that's the thing with our people. You want to sell out, you want to be colonized, you want to go and, and be an American, go. Have at it. But there's those of us that understand and choose, choose to remain who we are. And, and, and pick up the struggle, you know, and our, our ancestors did that for us, so it's, it's our obligation. Do you ever see Forrest Gump, Madonna? Yeah. Like, I, 
when I saw the movie, Beth, I was like, how could she be at everything? Like, there's Mount Rushmore. Oh, Madonna was there. There's the Black Hills campaign against human carbide. Oh, Madonna was there. There's Alcatraz. Madonna was there. All the way, like, through history. And then you're like, Dakota Access Pipeline. Oh, Madonna was there. But you were everywhere. I know, I know, I was everywhere. So, like, how are you always in the thick of the trouble? Because someone had to do the work. So who do you call the women? The cool thing about the movie um, I really, really appreciated was that you're focusing on a place that's sacred or a place that's in danger. This is nothing new that Trump's in there and just devastating everything. I mean, that's what we've had to put up with since they started the whole tribal government thing and with the United States government. I mean, come on, we've dealt with this kind of stuff for centuries, so nothing is new to us. It's just we have to constantly, we're always in flux, we're constantly adapting. Our people have never had any downtime. We're a place-based culture and we're place-based spirituality. And it all ties in. So we're always left standing. Cool thing about that clip is that we really kind of heard her story even more than we did in the movie. I just kept thinking, I can't imagine living in this way where you feel like you have to go to survival school, right? Yeah. Where every day is somewhat of a fight. They're a nation within a nation. Right. And, and yet each one of these women were able to find their center and their grounding. I mean, they seemed so connected to nature in a way that calmed them that you don't see from other leaders. I think everyone should watch this movie. Yeah, literally. everybody should watch this movie. It was amazing. This is the uh, perspective of the director. So Beth, how did this project come to you? The film started as an idea 20 years ago. From the beginning, it was it was a struggle. I first interviewed Madonna and just realized the story was, was a lot bigger than me and was just thinking about how am I going to share it um, and then just hung with it and fought and worked all these years so that the film that, that came out really did represent our own timeline, um, express the issues, because we could have been very historical at every detail, but all of that's gonna be part of it. The film festivals are awesome and it's fun to be celebrated a bit, but you know, when we come out, um, all of us are so busy because if you do this kind of work, you know, you, you don't have a steady job um, and we're just always trying to figure out, you know, what the hustle is and how we can raise the money to, to keep doing this work. So the film is built on this um, incredible historical record of a really accountably done project working with community. Um, and so, you know, we have this oral history collection of, you know, 60 different interviews varying from an hour to 15 hours um, of women who are the the, the big expanse of all the activists involved. And what do you need now? We are trying to raise the gas money to get grandmothers to an action to preserve and keep children, you know, in the tribe and, you know, every, you know, building the survival school, making sure that we can do an in impact campaign with this film where we are able to go to the places that really need to see the film. 
I think she did an amazing job. And um, this was like a 20-year odyssey. The whole team is awesome. See the movie. And now word from our sponsor, Thrive Market. Cooking up a fantastic meal is one of the great pleasures in life, especially when you get to share it with friends and family. It looks like a dehydrated turd. It looks like a can of dog food. It's like a fucking flip-flop. Looks like your bison's tongue. It's like someone's pissed in my soup. I'm glad that Gordon Ramsay's never been over to my house, although I have to say I do like Hell's Kitchen. One of the takeaways from this show is that following a recipe won't get you anywhere if you've got crap ingredients. When you're cooking with pesticide-laden or genetically modified foods, it shouldn't be any surprise that when you open up your oven, you'll find a steaming plate of frankenfoods. With the exception of donuts, the food that tastes the best is the food that's best for you. That's why I love Thrive Market. Thrive is a revolutionary online marketplace on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. Thrive sells only non-GMO and natural products at 25 to 50% below traditional retail prices. It just doesn't make any sense that organic groceries should cost more than highly processed foods. And at Thrive Market, they don't. Your family and friends will finish their meals healthy and happy. And if Gordon Ramsay happens to be one of them, he'd say... Mm. Wow, that is delicious. Finally, some good fucking food. Wow. How do you like this? Yeah, it's delicious. Well done. Wow. At Thrive, shopping for the perfect ingredients that match any dietary restrictions or taste palette is so easy. You can filter the food by your values, by your dietary preferences, and only see products that make sense for you. And here's the best part. Thrive Market is giving Podshipperth listeners 25% off your first order in a free 30-day trial. Simply go to thrivemarket.com slash podship. There are no codes. Just make sure to type in thrivemarket slash podship and the discount will be applied at checkout. I just bought Thrive Market's organic roasted seaweed snack mm, to eat while I watch the next green movie. Now back to this week's episode with Friday. The next movie we review is called Complicit. In China, every year, over 12 million teenagers leave home to find work. They're part of 260 million Chinese who must travel far from home just to make a living. My workday started at 8 a.m. and ended at 11 p.m. There were no holidays. I only had one night off a month. We sat there all day cleaning phone chips and using chemicals. There was an Apple screen and a Nokia screen. When I wasn't eating or sleeping, I would be wiping something. It was the only thing I did. There was no other ventilation, no windows. The smell was horrible at first, but I eventually got used to it. He jumped off the building. He ultimately chose to end his own life. He couldn't take the struggle any longer. The pressure of dealing with this illness, the factory, and benzene poisoning. I propose that we all stand up and hold a silent tribute for Ming. 
We are all benzene patients. For those of us who are alive, we need to fight for our rights, for justice, and live on. So you follow um, this main character who um, has gotten leukemia, presumably from working in one of these factories. And the factories have like one thing that I never knew, like 30,000 people in them. Oh, yeah. They're crammed in there like sardines. Yeah. And and this incredible person is gathering up all of these other people who have also been uh, have poisoned, negative, right? yeah, poisoned. They've yeah. been poisoned. You're yeah. exactly right. Um, and trying to find them and organize them and get some benefit. Um, and you also help just their realize, family. yeah, it, it, it's about so many things. I mean, really, we all have cell phones, right? And the most of them are made in China. We often spend a lot of time thinking about where stuff ends up at the end of life. Like, is it recycled? Is right. it incinerated? Has it been to landfill? Is it, you know? But this kind of opened my eyes to, holy crap, that people, as you said, like slammed into this factory like sardines 30,000 at a time. They don't sleep. They don't have weekends off. There's no windows. And then, I mean, did you yeah. notice in the film that there weren't even any bright colors? I mean, everything was very gray. The sky was gray. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it it's not it like how you would wish anybody to live, no, right? You wouldn't right. wish this on anybody. And then to think that you're part of that, oof. I wish the movie was a little bit more about what we could do because it was very, very focused on how shit life is for people who are poisoned, which I kind of got after about 20 minutes. So uh, how does it make you feel about your phone? Well, you can I tell you this? My phone is kind of on the fritz right now. And my husband keeps mm, saying, Brad, I just buy a new one. And I can't, like, I can't, I don't. Yeah. This is how it is right now I in couldn't. this moment. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go buy a new one, but this one is definitely not working. So here's Heather White, uh, the director of the movie, talking a little bit about the journey. I went to China in January of 2013 to research a book, checking out clinics in China that had been created to take care of teenagers who'd been paralyzed and were in comas from exposure to toxic chemicals. What we found out on our first few days there walking through the hospitals was that they were all connected to smartphone production. How did you even get access in the first place to a hospital? I've been to China. It's not very open to foreigners walking around hospital boards. Well, we snuck in everywhere we went, and we got chased out of quite a few places. All of the NGOs operating in China had been shut down by the government by the time we got there. One of the um, wonderful activist that was going to be one of the main characters in the film disappeared on his way to work while we were there and we never found him again and nobody ever saw him again because there's so much repression going on in China right now. After seeing it, of course, you think about the title and if nobody wants to be complicit in this story that you've told. So what is it that you want the viewers of your film to take away, to do, to feel after the, at the end? Then what? Well, I love the title of the film, too, but I'm not sending a message to consumers and to the average individuals that they are complicit or that they are to blame in any way. Because for me, having worked on anti-sweatshop issues for 20 years before I even made this film, I feel very strongly that those who are complicit are the companies, the factories, the brands, and even the governments who allow this to go on. 
despite corporate social responsibility initiatives that we keep hearing about and greening of you know, the corporate supply chain, it's just not happening from what we saw in making the film. And there was no sign of any type of monitoring or ethical trade initiatives in place um, on the ground with the subcontractors of these huge electronics brands. Which is just kind of stunning, right? When Apple banned benzene and hexane in their suppliers after our trailer came out, they didn't announce a price increase. So that showed us that, in fact, the price of these chemicals is completely inconsequential to the price of the goods. So how did it feel when, as a result of your film, Apple took that action? To have Apple take that step initially was very satisfying, and I applaud them for it. And I urged them to extend the ban to all of their subcontractors as well, because two-thirds of the production of the smartphones and the iPads in China are made by their subcontractors who are not subject to any of their supplier responsibility clauses and their oversight. Even though I think of myself as like a go green warrior, like when I come to watch a film like this, I don't have the same context that she has. So I appreciate it being kind of dumbed down, if you will, for me. Um, and, And I think that her narration and her description afterwards was really critical to my understanding of the film. Music was definitely the theme, I think, of the last couple of weeks. And it was kind of great to see how it pulls you into things and brings your emotions up. Perfect tee up for our next film, which is Symphony for Nature. The piece is called Natural History. And so much of the piece really is actually about nature. And it's about our relationship to the natural world. And in a way that I didn't realize would be quite as philosophical. And and I think it starts with the the tribe because their relationship to nature and their way of celebrating nature through music is so uh, deeply spiritual for them. Because Crater Lake is in our Aboriginal territories, the Klamath Tribes was asked to be a part of this celebration for the centennial. We don't go up there very often because it is a spiritual place and we're told by our elders that it's not a place to go and mess around, that it's a place to come for ceremony or power or if you need something. It was a symphony for nature. And kind of of nature and in nature. It was great. Have you been to Crater Lake? I have not. Oh my God, you have to go. The the visuals were amazing. And I really liked in this film how they put together not just the current visuals of the lake, but also these pioneers. It was Um, incredible. Totally incredible. The the guy was like 200 pounds of photo equipment. Oh my God. Who waited three days in the rain with his son. To take the first picture in like 1874. It was incredible. But because of him, that's why we have it as a national park now. I loved the drumming and the way that they infuse like 
they had choral singers and then they had the Klamath tribes drumming and then they had like trumpets and all kinds of sounds and that and then filming that and the lake and being on the lake it was just stunning and it's really an atmospheric piece absolutely so we we sat down with the director and Flatte. Yeah, she was very cool. Let's listen very to what, cool. what she has to say. I always say that the star of the film is Crater Lake. Um, and the story that we follow is about this amazing concert at the edge of the lake that took place that brought together classical musicians and drummers from the Klamath tribes, as well as other community musicians and choir. And it all came together because the Brit Music and Arts Festival um, wanted to do something in honor of the centennial of the National Park Service. And they commissioned Michael Gordon, um, who is a composer from New York, to uh, write a piece in honor of the lake that would be inspired by the lake and be performed at the edge of the lake. And when I heard that there was going to be um, a concert at the edge of a spectacular natural wonder, I thought this is a great opportunity to make a film that expresses some of the ideas that we've been um, working with for many years. I wanted to um, show Crater Lake not just now, but also convey the timelessness of the place and also the the human interaction with Crater Lake over the last thousands of years. My hope is that the audience the way that the film is made, um, that they will, you know, connect with their own uh, meaning about what nature means to them and, and contemplate that. How did that adventure or, or time of being on the lake influence how you made the film? The music itself is an attempt to uh, convey the symphony of Crater Lake, as Michael Gordon says, it's happening all the time and we're just adding our voices to it. For me, the music is the bridge between us and nature. It tries to create space to um, allow you to watch these people, you know, doing their creative endeavor in this in this place in honor of the lake and then to allow a space for silence or other natural sounds of the lake. So last but not least, the point of no return. First sunrise over a sea of clouds. That's the sunrise I will remember all my life. Energy management. Being as energy efficient as possible during the night to reach the next sunrise and continue. That's a beautiful metaphor of how we have to behave with energy and nature if we want to survive on this planet. Andre would, would take all the risks. Yes. We, from the engineering, we want to reduce as much as we can to make his life safe. But he is a risky guy. Now we have passed the 21st of June, and it's going to be worse and worse in terms of energy. We are not on the safe side if we wait. All of us were very lucky to have the pilot back. But when this decision came up that Andre and Bertrand want to continue, it hurt us in, in the soul that somebody decided against us. I was fully in opposition to Andre and Bertrand. Andre is pushing. 
we always had these discussions and fights. Why do you tend to go beyond limits all the time? We engineers try to set reasonable limits that you survive. And you, your target is always to sort of prove us that we set the limits too narrow. I love this movie. I did too. It was, it was uplifting. Yes, literally. Yeah. So it's this journey of these, this whole team, right? A lot of wonky. Oh my gosh. Can we just have a moment for how many people are working Incredible. on this team? Hundreds. Get, yeah. And like. It was like, like the moon mission. They yeah, had a really whole like, like operations the, base in, yeah. in all places. Unlike, it wasn't Cape Canaveral. It, it was Monaco. Monaco. Of course. <laughs> yeah. They build this plane, this first solar powered plane called Impulse, Solar Impulse. So it has the wingspan of a jumbo jet and the weight of a car, a passenger car. Yeah. And I mean, they literally have to hold it down. Yeah. The people do. I mean, <laughs> it is very Wright Brothers-like. Right? It was amazing. Just totally yeah. incredible feat of engineering. And they couldn't fly if it was windy, if there were cumulus clouds, if, you know, 500 different things. So they had all this. It's it was a actually, Cinderella airplane for it was sure. An, it was an adventure though. Because there's real risk, right? So oh, yeah. this, this section, the, the name of the movie is is based after this point of no return when they're going up over the Pacific, which is the longest flight. Um, and they kept having all these issues. And I don't know. I found the back and forth between the engineers and the adventurers, kind of the pilots, really fun. Oh, totally fun. I mean, one of the best parts about this film is that it has a real like traditional story arc, right? There's the beginning and the problem, and then they get to the this climax where they're yeah. really frustrated with each other, and then you know, then you come down to the resolution. But um, which made it really easy to watch and it. real, real actual real drama. Totally. Um, his we got to sit down with Bertrand Picard, um, whose father was an explorer. Long and, history of yeah, family. And then his grandfather was an explorer, and his grandfather's brother was captain picard that's how they named the star trek picard here he is when i was a child i was very much inspired by of course my grandfather who was the first man in the stratosphere my father who made the first dive to the marina trench the deepest spot on earth but also by all the astronauts that i met thanks to my father i was living close to cape kennedy during the apollo space missions so I, I met people who just showed me how, how interesting life can be if we explore it, if we get out of our habits, out of our certitudes, out of our comfort zone. And they really gave me the wish to be explorer. So what happened is that afterward, I started to have like, like a compass in the head with a needle showing the unknown instead of showing the north, showing everything that has not yet been done. So each time that was a new opportunity of something completely impossible, I was thinking, let's make it possible. How did you maintain kind of the goal and the focus to, to actually get it done, uh, something that no one had ever done before? I think it's the purpose. When you know why you want to do it, then it gives you the, the energy to reach it. If it's only for beating world records, I don't think it's enough. If you want to spread a message, you want to show people that the impossible is possible, that you can protect the environment with new technologies, that you can fly around the world with the forces of nature. Bertrand, in the movie, it looks like being in the air was much more fun than being on the ground. It was 
much more difficult on the ground preparing the mission than in the air. In the air, it was it was paradise. It was fantastic. It was a fairy tale. But on the ground, there was so many problems and crises that I had to remind myself that if it was easy, somebody else would have done it before. It was fantastic to live up there and just to be like on the magic carpet, having the impression that you don't move, but that the rest of the world is moving below you. And... Uh, going always straight ahead and sometimes the wind was pushing us too far to the north, too far to the south so we had to change altitude, adapt to keep the good wind and the good direction and getting back to the place where we started. How do you encourage people to think about adventure in their lives? To observe which is the paradigm, that means the belief, the certitude that prevents us from reaching our, our, our dreams, reaching our goals. I give you an example for solar impulse. The world of aviation thought it was impossible because the wings had to be too big and nobody had built a plane that was the wingspan of a jumbo jet for the weight of a car. So we turned to someone who did not know it was impossible. It was a shipyard. And the shipyard built the plane with carbon fiber that was light enough. And now you have a lot of people in the world of aviation who are starting to use carbon fiber for, for their own construction of airplanes but in the beginning it was considered to be impossible so solar impulse opened the way by changing a paradigm you're a very unique person and have a, a very unique perspective on the planet in that you were in the atmosphere for a very long time seeing the entire globe how did it change your view of the planet what changed my life was the psychological understanding that you have to speak the language of the people you want to convince. So if I was coming back from this adventure saying the earth is beautiful, we have to protect it, it's not enough. This message is not enough to convince politicians and industrial people and finance people to change. No, you have to speak their language. The weight of a plane above an ocean powered by the sun, what, what did it feel like? I felt like being pushed into the future like in a science fiction movie. I was thinking, I'm in the future. And then I realized that not at all. I was only in the present and in what the technologies of today allow us to do today. And then I realized how much the rest of the world is in the past. The rest of the world is in the past. We're still using devices and systems and so-called technologies that were invented in 1880, in the begin beginning of the oil era. The combustion engine, the badly insulated houses, the incandescent light bulbs, production and distribution and consumption of energy, all this is outdated. So we need to be as demanding for energy systems as we are with the latest app on our smartphone. We all lead such rushed lives, but even though you were racing, you still managed to do it. It's much slower than a plane. Yes, you know, I felt like... I was really at the beginning of something new because Solar Impulse was flying at the same speed than the Wright Brothers flyer in 1903. And there was also a single pilot, no passengers, only flying in good weather. And I was thinking, we have accomplished a complete cycle with aviation from the Wright Brothers going to the moon, flying supersonic, flying 500 people across the world with commercial airplanes. Now, 
who is starting a new cycle, no fuel, no pollution. I felt so tame compared to these guys. They're just like, <laughs> they had this vision, they're going to push it, they're going to get there. Right. I went back and forth in my head about thinking like, oh my gosh, these guys and their giant egos, right? And they're like trying to push this thing forward and they're totally reckless. And on the other hand, I'm like, yeah, but that's kind of the only way that things get done. I kind of love that they wear their emotions on their sleeves too. You can see every bit of this, which is, I think, something that, you know, if these were an American team, you might not see that yeah. same way. No, like the the head of like mission controls, a young, I guess, German guy, he looked like 25 or something. And about five or six times in the movie, he's crying for different reasons, either yeah. because joy, joy or mainly frustration with the two pilots. Right. Like, we're not going to take off yet again. Right. Yeah, it was amazing. You'd never see that. No, you would never see yeah. that. They said right at the end um, was how everybody had to do their thing. And this was his thing to build this and do this journey, but that we all have to do something when it comes to this idea of climate change, this, it's necessity. And that some people do it in art and some people do it in film and some people do it in music and some people do it in science. And this is how he's doing it, but we all have to do something. And I just felt like that was kind of the perfect wrap on this bananas two weeks we've had. Absolutely. Every movie that we saw expanded my horizons, made me feel like either I wanted to go to that place or in the case of China, I never wanted to go there. Everybody has to do something. And even if it's just watching a film, that's going to change your action. So if watching a film helps make you change, then that's a big act. It it's is. an important yeah. one. Thanks so much. Oh my gosh. This is so good to have a partner in crime here because otherwise... You know, I spin myself out of control. <laughs> That's not always a bad thing. <laughs> Thanks to Friday Apoliski, Madonna Thunderhawk, Marcy Gilbert, Elizabeth Castle, Heather White, Anne Flatte, Bertrand Picard, Rachel Kaplan, who runs the San Francisco Green Film Festival, and Sarah Flores, who helped me meet with all the directors. It was a real adventure delving into the world of environmental cinema. The movies all took years to make and involved bringing communities of creative people together to bring the vision to the screen. My horizons were stretched as I traveled on an emotional and visual roller coaster with warrior women, complicit, symphony for nature, and point of no return. I can't wait for next year's festival. Next week, I examine plastic microfiber pollution, which is being found in rivers, lakes, and in more than 80% of drinking water around the world. In order to continue to make the show viable, we need to reach 50,000 weekly listeners. If you could recommend Podship Earth to just one or two of your friends or family, that would be amazing. Thank you so much for being part of the Podship Earth journey. From the entire Podship Earth crew, sound engineer Rob Spate, producer Nancy Ferranti, executive producer David Kahn, and this week's co-host, Friday Apoliski, and me, Jared Blumenfeld. Have a fabulous week and try and watch one of the movies that we reviewed in this week's show, because they were amazing. Amazing.